Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 383. If you ask me, we're at a crossroads in travel right now, with the cruise industry still pretty much shut down, but hope on the horizon and new possibilities in the new year. So what should we expect from cruising going forward? This week, I'll be breaking down what the future could hold for cruises and travel. Here we go. There's a lot happening in the travel industry these days, not just related to cruises, but really travel in general. We're really at a crossroads right now in terms of where travel is going and, of course, the impacts and everyday challenges, if you will, that come with COVID-19 and, of course, the general recovery of the travel industry. And this week, I wanted to break down where we are right now because this is a really interesting point. A lot is about to change, I believe. And to help me talk about what the future holds is a, is a good friend of mine who knows the travel industry better than most people. In fact, certainly better than I do. And that is uh, Len Testa, the uh, co-author of the Unofficial Guide to Walt Disney World, Viscount of touringplans.com. And he's also the ghostwriter of Dial M for Motley Crew. Len Testa, welcome <laughs> to the Royal Green Block Podcast. How's it going, Matt? Outstanding. <laughs> Viscount, huh? <laughs> I did Google medieval titles. That was the most interesting one that came back to me. It's funny because I was I was telling I was talking to Laurel the other day about um, medieval titles in France, and apparently the um, the difference between a duke and a marquis is that the marquis they both they both had had land they both had serfs mm-hmm. but the marquis uh, had land that bordered a foreign country and was therefore more at risk so although they were considered um, you know peers if you will um, you know basically the same the same rank. Marquis had a higher, um, a higher title, slightly higher title. They were first among equals because they had more exposure to foreign countries. Which, if you ever wanted to know the difference now between a marquis and a duke, there you go. Oh, see, I always thought Duke was just somebody who wants to rally. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nickname like Buster. All right. <laughs> so, Len, uh, you know, there's so much happening in a world in which there really isn't a whole lot happening. Yeah. But I, I really wanted to get your sense of these things because, you know. Looking at the now with moving into 2021, with obviously where things are, uh, both in terms of where travel is right now, yep. with vaccine on the horizon, yep. with different government protocols being put into place, taken away, added back, all this other stuff. I, like I said earlier, I, I think this we're at a crossroads right now. I feel, it feels like we are, you know, to paraphrase Winston Churchill, we're not at the end, we're not at the beginning, but we are at the end of the beginning, or however he right. said, right? It's like that. It feels like we're at a, a precipice here. Do you feel the same way? I do, actually. And I think we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, once the vaccine starts rolling out, we're going to see um, a number of people really start, a number of regular Americans really start to think about what that means specifically for their travel plans for 2021. Like it's going to, my sense is over the next month, people are going to start thinking seriously about how much they really want to travel in 2021. It's going to be way more than I think most people expect. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's this notion that's, that's been kicked around a lot about pent-up demand is that everybody oh, yeah. put off their 2020 stuff and said, okay, well, it is what it is. But uh, I, I just think that a lot of no, that notion is not going to return in 21. I think people are going to say, we're going on our vacations. We're going somewhere. Oh, yeah. Especially if, um, you know, the, the stuff that I'm hearing is that we should have a widely available, effective vaccine available sometime um, around the beginning of the second quarter of 2021. So April 1st, you know, ish. Should be able to walk into a CVS and get you know one or two shots, um, depending on how many you know how, which vaccine works better. But uh, 
so, um, so what I'm hearing is that summer travel should be, to, to coin a phrase, normal-ish, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I don't think you're going to see a lot of uh, travel in the first quarter of 2021 because, you know, ramp up the vaccine and, you know, things like that. Plus, it's, you know, it's also cold. But, you know, second half of 2021 looks, if everyone can do everything right, it looks very promising. So let's, um, I, I wanted to talk first about something that you're very keenly aware of, because obviously, Len, not only do you follow what happens in the world of, of cruising in the, in the scope of Disney cruises, but mm-hmm. Walt Disney World. And Walt Disney World has gone through shutdown, yeah. uh, shutdown for a while, restart, and now whatever it's in now. So looking at that, are there any kind of trends we can, we can glean from that, that, you know, in terms of cruises, like what to expect from a uh, restart, whenever it does happen, for cruises and and kind of what the what 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 are what, what are the road signs we should be looking for? Right. So I think when um, when things started to reopen over the summer, you basically had two schools of thought around how it should happen. The first school of thought was Las Vegas, which was which was basically okay. Everything's open again, mm-hmm. masks or not, right? Um, and I'm sure you saw it on you know those videos on CNN where it basically looked like Las Vegas before the pandemic, right? And that turned off a lot of people from traveling to Vegas. I mean, I love Vegas. I would go there, you know, if it was safe, I'd, I'd go there now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, right? And it's not so much that, um, you know, I, I, I trust the large corporations because of liability to do the right thing, right? Because <laughs> they'll get sued. I, I don't trust the people that are there, right? Yeah. Um, but the other school of thought, the other way of doing things was the way Disney reopened, where they put procedures in place um, from a safety and from a process perspective in terms of screening their employees, limiting the number of people um, that, are, uh, that are in any one area at a time, um, you know, redoing indoor dining or rethinking indoor dining, rethinking things like, you know, do I really need to go to the front desk to check in? So, you know, Disney put these processes in place. They started off really, really slow um, back in July and gradually verified that those processes were working day in, day out. And they modified it as they need to, as they need to. Um, but, you know, they, they got a month or two under their belts running uh, with very low numbers while they figured out where the weaknesses were in these processes. And now you see them start to expand more. So when Disney first opened back in July, we counted some days in the Magic Kingdom where there were like 4,000 people in the entire park all day. Wow. Yeah, four, I mean, 4,000 is basically like the line for Space Mountain on any, you know, on any given you know, just, uh, Christmas holidays. And there were that few people in the park. Um, you know, now they're, at, uh, they're supposedly allowing 35% capacity in the parks. Um, so they've done a, and they've done a really good job. One of the things that we do every day in Walt Disney World is we count the number of people who are wearing masks and the number of people who aren't. So we sample 500 people every day, and we count of those 500 people how many are wearing masks according to Disney's guidelines. And the number's never been below 94 percent. It's never been above 98 percent. So that's a fantastic number. Absolutely, and I, and I think that's a great number. Oh yeah, really. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're not going to go to Target and see that number, right? Oh no. Um, nothing against Target, right? Walmart, Publix, anything. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that people who don't want to wear masks won't go to Walt Disney World if they know that they're mandatory. And I think the same thing is true for cruising, right? If if Royal Caribbean comes out and says, 
okay, Matt, you can come on on the ships, but you got to wear a mask while you're in public spaces, right? You would do it because you want to go on a cruise, but there would be people who, who don't want to do it and they, therefore they wouldn't go on the cruise. So when companies communicate that requirement, the people who don't want sort of self-select out, right? Um, and that's good, right? Because that means the people who are on the ship are willing to do the right things. Same thing with the people in the theme parks, right? You can feel better about them because they, they, they want to be there. Um, and they're willing to follow the rules. But I think the other thing that, um, that we're seeing, like, especially around cruises is, you know, the, the CDC has now put out guidance around what, um, what cruise lines have to do to keep people safe. Right. Have you seen those? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it starts with testing the, the crew on a regular basis. Um, it, and it involves like, you know, sanitation processes, um, cleanliness processes, altering things like restaurants and so on. Um, but they put out, uh, was like a hundred page document uh, around their conditional sale orders. Yeah, it's a uh, I well, it's it's a little it is extensive. Um, I believe it's around the conditional sale order is about forty pages, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So um, so again, it's all the testing stuff, um, uh, both uh, shoreside testing and then on the ship testing and so on. So they've got to get those uh, things in place. But the other thing that the the ships have to do, and I think this is a little bit more tricky, is um, they have to come up with like a quarantine area in case patients get sick. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so I'll give you a little aside. So in Walt Disney World, it's the Fort Wilderness cabins that are the quarantine area because the ventilation systems there in those cabins aren't connected to any other rooms. That makes sense. So that, they're all individual uh, cabins. Right, exactly. And by the way, the, um, the code for when you have a COVID positive um, guest is actually 2319 from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making it up. That's what I've heard. <laughs> it would have been funnier if they yelled crazy Ivan, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, 23 day George. So that's the, I think that's going to be one interesting in the cruise ship. Like where, where do you have somewhere where you can segregate people who, who have tested positive, where the ventilation system isn't going to be connected to the rest of the ventilation system. So that might be one thing where you might see ships going down for, um, you know, refurbishment for like a week or two, or maybe they're using this time now to figure that out. But I wouldn't be surprised like, like the Disney ships just went through dry dock, right? If they didn't in that dry dock come up with something on deck two or deck one that was like, okay, here's a bunch of cabins that, um, you know, we're going to bring in um, space heaters and, you know, those, uh, those portable air conditioners. We're going to bring these things in um, and just disconnect these cabins from the rest of the ventilation system. Yeah, no, there's definitely rooms that in the, in the, uh, healthy sale panel recommendations that the the cruise lines have to essentially designate certain cabins to be uh, quarantine isolation cabins specifically for that purpose so that they have a place to put them and to your point you know is is taking those kinds of uh, things not only that you've got the new air circulation uh, right. which uses um keep it filters and, and if i'm not mistaken royal caribbean partnered with university in the midwest um i don't know i can't i want to say indiana but i'm not sure it doesn't matter but they they partnered with the university to test out you know recreate kind of what a cruise ship uh air circulation is like and prove Mm -hmm. that that can actually prevent it from spreading from cabin one to cabin two and that kind of stuff you know that that kind of continual intake of fresh air uh the merv 13 filters you know all this is not not just uh theoretical but it's also uh procedurally proven to be able to, you know, be effective. So that's obviously very good, I think, for a lot of people who feel that 
you know, obviously on a cruise ship, you can't do what they don't have the Fort Wilderness. You can't just stick them on the back of the ship and. <laughs> <laughs> or, or let me just, let me just give you an idea. Here. <laughs> yes, I knew this was one shuffleboard, but now it's tits. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it, it's, it's, you know, they, they've got these things in place to, um, to, to address those. So yeah, that's, that's definitely great news on that front. Yeah, and I think if they um, if they can figure out the the air circulation thing, that will go a long way towards addressing that particular concern because they've already got things like room service that you can do, right? I mean, the rest of the the rest of the 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 isolation part is fine. You know, they need food, they need you know shelter and stuff like that. We've got that, right? So that's basically a floating hotel. Um, so I think the air circulation thing is going to be the big thing. The um, the other thing I think it, that we're going to see is. I think you mentioned this on your blog too, back in October, um, that JFK and Newark are now doing like instant COVID screens. Yeah. yeah. My sense is you're going to see that at ports too, where basically you're either going to have to come in with something that says, you know, you've, you've either been vaccinated or you've got a negative test within 24 hours um, or they're going to do it to you right there. And I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that on ship as well. Absolutely. I know that in Singapore where Royal Caribbean is restarting cruises this week, they're doing those testing over there. It's not clear how they're going to handle it here in the States or in Europe for that matter. Yeah. But by the same token, testing is a major, major thing that uh, yeah. Royal Caribbean is going for. Their whole healthy cell panel protocols, their entire plan ignores the vaccine because when they wrote it, the vaccine wasn't nearly as well known as it is yeah. today. But testing, I think you're right, Len. Number one, testing is going to be a big part of it. Number two, testing is going to become a big part of our lives in general. It's going to go from what we've been used to, which is essentially temperature checks, which are more theater than anything, but yeah. to actually be able to get a test in the same way and, and uh, as quickly as you know, a fast food stop um, yeah, you know, minutes. Yeah. All in your world is going to be that kind of an experience. So yeah, I could totally see that where not only you have to get a positive or sorry, a negative test before you depart, but also you get one at the port as well to ensure that basically you're coming on board as clean as reasonably possible. And I think that's going to go a long way towards um, giving peace of mind to people who want to, especially get on a cruise ship, right? Because yeah. cruise ships are, are, are self-contained, right? But if I, if I knew every morning as I was getting up and going to the buffet that every night everyone was tested, right? I'd feel a lot better about that. Even if I'm you know, wearing masks and going through all the other sanitation stuff, it's just one more thing where it's like, okay, we did everything we could to check, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing that, and I did believe that. Um, what was interesting about the whole Sea Dream thing that that occurred a couple of weeks ago, where that Sea <laughs> Dream cruises restarted yeah. operations, is they did test it. They, that was their big thing. They did tons of testing, and yeah. day one, everybody got tested negative. Day two, everyone did test it negative. Day three, yeah, then they started getting the positive. <laughs> hey, guess what? We all live in Barbados now. <laughs> <laughs> But I heard, I heard that the, the, the passengers that tested were all from the same group. Yes. So it's yeah. likely one of them infected everyone else. Yeah. It wasn't like five, it wasn't like tests missed, you know, five separate people on, you know, in five different families. Testing missed one person, right? Which, I mean, a, a, te a test is going to have a false negative percentage anyway. So that's, you know, that happens. But um, yeah, and that's, uh, I, I think that... So the reason why they were able to cruise out of the United States was because it was a cruise ship smaller than 250 people, right? That was the rule? Yeah, but they didn't sell out of the U.S. They just sell out of Barbados. They got around the rule. Oh, I thought they sold out of the U.S. and went to Barbados. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, no, All right. okay. Yeah, so they got around that problem. But this leads me to something else I wanted to bring up, Len. Um, something that I think will, uh, if your blood isn't boiling, then yeah, here's a good opportunity for you. Because, you know, we just talked about that. There were on the Sea Dream, if I'm not mistaken, 
six or seven positive cases plus a crew member or two. Is that right? Is that I thought the crew, I thought the crew members all tested negative, but it was it was um, six or seven passengers, five of which in the same group, and I guess one the okay. other two came in contact. Yeah, yeah less than ten. We're, we're yeah. in agreement on that. All right. Yeah. So the thing that really the really the thing that really gets me though, you know, is that you know more than anything, and we're seeing this in Disney World, we're seeing this with the cruise industry in particular. Uh, is that the double standard that exists with the travel industry? Um, this, and again, the entire travel industry. You know, I'm going to give you the example. Over the weekend here in Florida, where I live, there were 13,000 new cases in just Florida. And for Florida, number one, that's not the lead story of the news. Number two, when they interview people, people are like, oh, what are you going to do? Right? Exactly. Well, you know, them's the breaks. <laughs> Literally, that was the story. There, was, yeah. there were cases in the school, and they interviewed some dude. Not that this is really scientific, but the guy's like, well, you know, things uh, happen. Um, yeah. But less than 10 cases on a cruise ship got wall to wall. Oh, my God. It was, it was, it was the, the above the fold for me on Google News every day. Every like, day for a week about this, you know, oh cruise lines being reckless. So how does this change? And again, it was one family. Yes. Right. It wasn't, it was like, it wasn't like it was five separate people out of 50 or five separate, you know, one, one person from different groups. It was one family. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the, the problem that I'm looking at this is, you know, you have to be realistic. There are going to be COVID cases on any cruise ship. I mean, this is, this is the world we live in. There are, COVID yeah, there, cases. There, are, there are COVID cases all around us. Yes. Yeah. So how does this change? What, where, how do we get away from this becoming in the travel industry, whether it is somebody getting, you know, coming down with a COVID case on Space Mountain, on yeah. a Royal Caribbean ship, in the Bellagio? How do we get away from this being the one case that's, that, by the way, the system is stopping it. Oh, that's another thing. Yeah being totally missed by this but you know, how, do we, how do we get away from this that uh this idea that that there's this double standard that you can't have any cases in travel but in our own world whether it's in our schools or in publics or anywhere else in our communities that you know thousands of cases is just the way it is yeah that's one of the reasons why we wanted to count the number of people wearing masks properly in walt disney world is sort of to quantify the risk right like i mean every everything has risks right if you go to a theme park there's a not zero chance that you will die on a ride, right? And that, that, that's just it. But we accept those risks, right? Because we, we think the risks are relatively low and we think the rewards are relatively high, right, in comparison. Um, and I think we need to do the same thing for, for cruising. And unfortunately, the, the thing that gets headlines is, you know, COVID erupts on, on cruise ships. But if you... I think if we if if these we put these screenings in place, we start off you know slow like we did, right? Um, and we put these processes in place. Cruising is going to be about as safe as it can be, right? Um, and I think that's the thing that people will will appreciate. A, a, a lot of people, I mean, obviously, people who listen to the podcast and, and read your site, those are huge fans, right, of cruising, right? And, and you and I both huge fans of cruising. Um, I, I will, you know, assuming that the right procedures are in place. I will go on one of the first ships out, right? Maybe we can go together. Absolutely. Um, because again, for me, the, the risk and the reward, if, you know, if, if I think that, you know, a line like Royal or a line like Disney is, is, is doing everything that they can do, then the risk is acceptable relative to the reward. And so I think the, um, I think that's something that like all travel professionals can do, right? Is to, is to tell people, don't just look at the headlines where, you know, two people got sick on, on, on some cruise ship. How many people didn't get sick, right? How many people had a great time? Yeah. And I think that's something that we need to, we'll need to communicate out. We'll need to get that out and say, these things went fine. You probably didn't hear anything about it in the media because it did go fine. 
Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I, I think, I mean, people like you and myself, you know, we get it. I think almost anybody listening to this podcast probably gets it because we understand the nature of travel and, and, and all of this and that it, yeah. it is what it is. But it's also, you know, being taken seriously. And this isn't a cavalier attitude. And, right. you know, the idea that cruise ships are going to go back into operation in the same way they no. were pre-COVID is like saying that airports we're going to go back, you know, to judging airport security pre 9-11. Pre 9-11, yeah, it's never going to happen. That's not how it works. They yeah. changed it. The cruise lines have changed it as well. And yeah. you know what? There were still actually incidents in airports and on airplanes after 9-11, but yeah. they addressed it, right? They adjust the systems and, and they tweak it. And luckily, we've you know, not had a, anything like that again. But the point is, is that, you know, the things change, but it can't be this you know, you can't have this narrative where, you know, immediately you just see people like, oh, I can't, who would go on a cruise ship? What kind of crazy person would do that? And it's like the same crazy people that drive on, on highways. Yeah. And, you know, how many thousand people get dying car crashes? But I don't think I'm going to, you know, I know this is an old trope, but yeah. uh, it's, it's still worth mentioning because this is the problem I think that the industry is facing is not the threat necessarily, but the backlash from all of this. You know, and that's, that's the thing. It, a lot of people will say, you know, going to Walt Disney World or going on a cruise isn't absolutely necessary. And, and so therefore, why would you take the risk? And, and again, it's, it's, it's risk to reward. And I will say once, you know, once the vaccine comes out, that, that will dramatically change the equation. But the thing, that, the thing that I would tell people is, you know, is this. Assuming you can quantify the risk, right? I went, the first uh, theme park I went back to once parks reopened was Universal Orlando. Uh, in in Orlando, and I got on um, the Gringotts roller coaster ride, and you know you walk in, and they're basically spraying hand sanitizer all over you. Everyone's wearing the masks. I was wearing gloves. Everyone's ten feet apart, right? We're just being shouted at, or you know, we're being told what to do in terms of like safety precautions all throughout the ride, right? So it's 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 an odd feeling. But dude, man, I, I got to tell you, man, I got on that ride. And the lights went down and the, the music started and the special effects kicked in. And I forgot about everything else mm-hmm. in the outside world for two glorious minutes. And it was an amazing feeling. And that's what's going to get people back on cruise ships and back into theme parks. Because once they start hearing about the great time that people had, like, oh my God, wasn't it fantastic to just not be at home and think about disease 24-7, right? Yeah. Once, once, that, once we can communicate that to people, right, again, with you know, taking the right precautions and stuff, I think every, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I certainly hope so. I mean, and th- we're going to talk a little bit more about the vaccine here in a little bit. But, yeah. Um, I, and maybe that is the changing because I think we're also, in a lot of what I just mentioned, is looking at it in the prism of yeah. – um, mid to late 2020, in which the vaccine doesn't really exist. It's still way out there. It's not yeah. as tangible as it is really today and going forward. So that, I, I think we both agree that there's going to have a major impact on that. It's just going to be interesting to see at what point does the the attitudes about travel catch yeah. up with the I reality think, of it. I think once the vaccine comes out in a couple of weeks, um, people are going to start to plan their 21, 21 trips you know, around Christmas like they normally do. But they're going to start, the, their assumption is going to be, well, by summer, everything will be fine. And I think that's, that will actually happen too. I do though think, so let me ask you this question. I mean, buffets are integral to cruising, right? They think about like Las Vegas or Walt Disney World. What happens to the buffet? I mean, like I actually spent, I spent hours the other night prepping for the show thinking about like what, 
like what will happen to the like like the way that people think about well what's going to happen to the dolphins and the whales during global warming i'm like well what about the buffets <laughs> bless you child this is why we're friends by the way this is what keeps them up at night <laughs> like what 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 is the future of the las vegas buffet and i was like seriously concerned like mm-hmm. what are they going to do i guess they could do self-serve but I mean, it's going to go full service. I mean, Rolo said that they're yeah. going to be using um, QR codes to be able to, you're going to sit down at a table instead of going right yeah. to the buffet. You'll order what you're looking for and it'll come to you essentially in the beginning. Um, that would if, be- they could, if they could deliver it by like pneumatic tubes, we'll have the Jetsons future on a cruise ship. Finally. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how we get progress, but. <laughs> your burger. Side of fries. <laughs> You go to Johnny Rockets, and there'll be somebody outside on a treadmill walking a dog. Like, no, no, it's just there for ambiance. <laughs> He's like suspended over the side of the ship, running on the treadmill with the dog. <laughs> but I, I think the, I, I think the, I, I, a lot of it is going to just going to be going to that digital form, and at least with Royal yeah. for other cruise lines. Yeah, uh, QR I mean, codes everywhere. Yeah. I mean, these kinds of things are actually, I don't want to say old hat, but they've had these kind of issues already with neurovirus and being able to tackle that. This is a little right. different, granted, but they can you know, demonstrate that that kind of an environment can be done safely. So I'm less worried about that as, you know, about some of the other things, you know, in terms of, you know, isolation, quarantine. Yeah. And of course, the other thing is, you know, if there is a case or two on a ship and someone is quarantined, the system catches it and, you know, contact tracing goes into effect, you know, how is it contained? You know, does the rest of the ship be able to, you know, can they still play hot, hot, hot on the buff, on the pool deck, you know, and like, you know, and, and still yeah. have a good time? Or is it going to have to go into lockdown? That's that's another, um, you know, a, a bigger question that we're going to have to wait and see on that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because imagine, so I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that there's going to be a seven day cap on cruises yes. going out of the US for all of 2020. All right. Okay. So yeah, imagine you've got to be locked down for a day or two on that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That that I mean that's the real question is is it is there a is there a quota like you know if you stay below this percentage then we don't need to shut down the whole ship you know it it is what it yeah. is or is it yeah. immediately one case and that's Boom. it yeah everyone's everyone's getting room service although I say you know I've I've been on the anthem in the Skyloft suites and if you wanted to quarantine me there <laughs> I you know sign me up I'm I'm yeah. good with that yeah that's fine I'm not a bad strategy I tell my wife so honey it's not about me it's about making sure just in case <laughs> we need to have this suite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that should be the sales pitch from now on. It's like in the event that we have to quarantine, would you rather be in an inside cabin or this suite, baby doll? <laughs> Somebody write this down. Somebody write this down. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I think is a uh, is a little bit uh, we got we got to think about is uh, there's not going to be Alaska cruises in the first half of the year, right? I mean, I, yeah, the problem is Canada more than anything. No, no, that's it. Yeah, because well, so the, what's the, the law that says you, you can't go from one U.S. port to another without an intermediate stop in a foreign country? Yeah, the Passenger Vessel Services Act, yeah. Of course. Uh, yeah, so, so that's normally Canada, right? Yep. But now, but Canada's not letting anybody in the United States anywhere near uh, Canadian territory. So I don't know what they're going to do for, for Alaska in the first half of the year. Well, there was, I mean, there was talk and it's just that, but uh, I know at least one, I don't, I don't recall if the gentleman was a representative or a senator from Alaska, but proposing a temporary um, lifting or a waiver rather for the PVSA to allow them to get around that law. Oh, the, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a U.S. law. This isn't like, you know, international law by any means. And if they can waive that, 
that would be a big deal because Alaska is, I mean, these, some of these towns are just, they're all based on tourism. That's, that's how all, oh, yeah, of, all of it. There is no backup over there. There's nobody yeah. doing co-development and, and, you know, selling mattress box springs over there. I mean, this is just, you it's know, all tourism, yeah. all tourism and they can, you know, this is already hurtful, but two years, I mean, if they go two years without uh, tourism over there, I mean, there are Juno and Skagway, they don't exist, you know? Yeah, no. They'll be gone. So um, that'll be interesting to see. That's going to be the most interesting because they've they, there has not been a large appetite to uh, to to waive that. But um, I, uh, I hope that's I think a, it, they'll take that out of the toolbox. I would think so too. Yeah, I, I think they'd have to. I think it maybe it, it just hasn't been the front of mind. But um, if you think about like the number of states that have travel agents in them, it's basically all fifty states. I mean, it is all fifty states, yep. right? So if you think that. If the, if the representative from Alaska makes the pitch to everybody else and says, you know, everyone will win if we do this, I think that that's an easy, an easy yes. Especially oh. if it's, it would be different if it was like, well, we've got to go to Canada, but Canada's infected with, with, with the virus, right. right? Now we're saying we're not going to go to Canada. We're just going to stay in the U.S. How do you, how do you say no to that? Yeah. I, unfortunately, this is the other thing is that it, it all makes sense to us, right? And certainly the cruise industry, but this is something you're talking about federal law now. And in the grand scheme of things that change in Washington and attention, you know, the PVSA is not very high on the priority list, even though it is like a slam dunk, probably. I mean, who would probably? Oh, yeah, no one's going to. I can't. Yeah, it's, like, it's like voting for a post office name change. I mean, who's, who's going to do that? By the way, did you see in my show notes, I put uh, Russia is, is an alternative to Canada, but probably not. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. It's close. It's a good place to visit. Vodka for everyone. <laughs> Oh Lord! All right, yeah. nice. all right. So uh, let's. So that, that believe it or not, guys, that was one question. So let's go <laughs> <laughs> to the next one here. Uh, kind of moving down the list here, and you know, restart plans. And a lot of this, we're going to go in and out. I think of the vaccine here because a lot yeah. of that has to. Ha- I mean, can we imagine? Can you imagine a world in which I, I don't say that cruises restart without the vaccine, but is the vaccine and cruises restarting the success of that? Are they tied together? Are they mutually not, not exclusive, whatever the opposite of that is? No, I think they're tied together. I think uh, everyone's making that assumption. The, again, the crew, um, we should see vaccines start to be distributed second, third week of December. Um, Pfizer's and Moderna's, uh, Moderna, uh, Moderna's vaccine are like 90 to 95% effective. That's fantastic. Um, they do require two doses a month apart. Um, and I think they're going to have 20 million enough doses for 20 million people by the end of the year. And then AstraZeneca has got 4 million doses ready and 40 million in the first quarter. Theirs is a little weird. Um, so that's the Oxford AZ, um, vaccine. They hit 90% efficacy, but did you see they, the way that they did it was by administering the vaccine incorrectly. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah, so they uh, it would the they were supposed to do full dose, full dose, one month apart. They did half dose, full dose, one month uh, apart. And if they uh, if they did it the right way, it was only sixty two percent effective, which is not great. Um, but the half dose, full dose was ninety percent. And but they're they're now going back and saying that they have to retest it. Um, so that's going to take another month or so. The good news though is um, when I looked at uh, the number of vaccine candidates that are in phase three trials, there's at least seven other ones. Um, and some of those companies like Sanofi and Johnson and Johnson can make hundreds of millions of doses. So, um, you know, again, I think once they, 
once they're, they're certified in phase three trials, as long as their efficacy is at least 70%, we should have enough vaccine produced um, to make some the word I'm hearing is normal-ish. Yeah, you know, like, I, yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, the uh, the fact that, you know, I saw the AstraZeneca news, but then I, you know, I was like, okay, we still have Pfizer and Moderna. And if I learned anything from meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> exactly. Right? <laughs> Nine out of 15, whatever. The, uh, <laughs> the good news too about if you look at the way, the technology that's being used to create the vaccines, um, Pfizer and Moderna are using one technique, I believe, RDNA. AZ is using a completely different technique. J&J is using a different technique. So they all have different um, storage requirements. Like I think J&J, you can store a room, room temperature, basically throw it in a bag of socks and, <laughs> and transport it. Um, so we have, a, we have a, a variety of different ways in which they can work. We have a variety of different ways in which they, they need to be stored or cared for. Um, some of them are single dose. Some of them are two dose. We've got 15 options. Several of them are going to work well enough. So I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm no longer worried that we're not going to have a vaccine. Like we're going to have a vaccine for me though. The big, the big question now is going to be how fast can we get it out to people around the country? And there you're running into, um, in the, especially in the United States, you're running into uh, challenges around rural distribution, right? Yeah. So if you live in a city like you and I, right. Um, you know, we'll be able to walk into a CVS and do it, but there are large parts of the United States, right. That are rural where, um, they, they might not be a local hospital. And so how do you, how do you reach these people? Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's uh, the, the question is when are they going to reach, you know, critical mass essentially? I mean, the idea that 70%, yeah, yeah. They have to hit 70%. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that idea I think for me is that again, going back to a, a, a time that you mentioned, which is that second quarter the spring, essentially yeah. that we'll be spending the winter base getting everybody uh, or as many people as possible inoculated. I mean, then there's gonna be a whole different debate about whether or not people want the vaccine or not. Oh, but, don't get me started. I know. I mean, that's. Me. I mean, I, 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 we're not going to debate the virtues of vaccines here. That's a. Different, you want to go on Reddit? You can go talk all you want. <laughs> but, um, but the the thing for me is, um, you know, when does the effect is going to be the undeniable effect? Is it's going to bring COVID nineteen from a pandemic down an epidemic down to whatever is below an epidemic, right? The, yeah. just be, it's oh, like I, basically like the flu again, yeah. right? Where we, it's something that we, it, we, it's in the background. We all live with it, right? So it's chronic, but we, we just live with it. Now, let me ask you this about, this is something that's come up here in the last week or two, and I've kind of brushed it off, uh, but I'm not sure now. I want to get what you think about it, Len. Proof of vaccine. Is this something we can expect? Do you think you're going to walk through, uh, you know, Walt Disney World, go to the Magic Kingdom, get on the monorail, hiya, pal, do you have a vaccine? Is that going to be a thing? You know, uh, the temptation would be for some people to forge. Like if you just think of, you're not going to be able to bring in a, a piece of paper right? or a QR code. Because I think the temptation there would be to forge, um, to forge that thing. If it was something like attached to like your driver's license or. I mean, I've seen ideas like, you know, some sort of a, a an app board or essentially an app. an app, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the Asian countries are, are doing that. Yeah. I think that would, that would make a lot of sense. Um, Number one, from a from just from the perspective of letting people in, right? So imagine you you go on a cruise ship, but you know that everybody that that is on that cruise ship with you has got the vaccine, right? That's yep. a vastly different experience than if you weren't sure. Let me ask you this: let's let's assume that our assumptions are correct. That let's fast forward to April one, okay? Mm-hmm. And you've got you know a fair amount of the population has the vaccine already. Uh, it's not a pandemic anymore. It's, it's certainly out there, but it's not a, it's not the threat that it is here today in early December. Um, if, if you say that, 
then what's the downside to someone who says, I don't want to take the vaccine for whatever reason. Um, what would be the downside other than the fact that they're accepting the risk that's involved? Is, is that just it? Is there a liability involved? Is it more than that? Is this go back to the, the things we talked about earlier about the double standards and the coverage that it would get regardless yeah. if all of a sudden there was a flare up somewhere? No, I think it, I think it would. The, um, the thing with, you know, cruising in, in Walt Disney world is it's private property and it's optional. So it's not like, uh, you know, school systems will make an exception for children who aren't vaccinated sometimes, right? Because the, every, every child has a right to education, right? Right. And so on. Uh, and, and, and there the schools are relying on herd immunity to, to, to protect everyone else. Um, in this case, uh, I think most cruise lines would be well within their rights to say, you know, look, you can't board. Unless you've unless you've got it, and basically make it a condition, just like you know you you have to have a passport, and in some cases to travel to certain countries you have to have immunization, right? Yep. Like the State Department will tell you if you're going to India, right? You've got to get you know tetanus and, and these other these other shots. Same thing, and I think that would happen. Do they do that early on? Like you know, will they do that on cruises going out in April? Probably not. Will they do it in April of 2022? Yeah, I mean it's entirely possible. They just say, look, you've got to have a, a vaccine to, uh, to get on, or they say, you know, they'll make medical exceptions, but you know, for three people out of a thousand, again, to ensure that they've got herd immunity on the, um, on the ship. Yeah. Why not? I, I, I'm absolutely fine with that. Okay. No, that, may, that makes sense. It's going to be very interesting to see how they, how they handle that. And, and, and well, think about it, right. They, uh, lifeboat drills are mandatory, right? Because yep. it's a safety thing. So why, why couldn't they make the, the vaccine, you know, mandatory? I mean, they certainly could. Uh, I think yeah. if I'm not mistaken, Qantas Airlines is going to, or that was the plan um, mm-hmm. to, to have something like that where they have to show proof of. And, um, you know, it, this, the, the thing that you mentioned earlier about, you know, Disney being so successful with their implementation in your view in terms of how they implement these policies, but it, that all goes back to enforcement as well. And that's something that yeah. Disney's always done well. And, you know, I've, I, some part of me, while I, I believe that these protocols are being taken seriously by, by the staff and what have you, you know, there's still a lot of policies that just kind of go like, well, depends who you talk to kind of situation. And yeah. I hope that they're going to be enforced strictly to be, you know, for the, for the greater good, if you will, of, of people on board. Um, but I think, it, I, I, I think it will. And the reason is, is social media, mm. right? If social, if you see on social media, you know, uh, you know, I'll just name a, a, a cruise line, you know, carnival, um, you know, serving a buffet with people who aren't wearing masks around it. I mean, that's going to get on social media. No one's going to want to go on those cruise ships, right? I, it could be free and people wouldn't want to go. Um, but conversely, like when you see, you know, people being marched out of a theme park because they're not wearing masks, right? That tells everyone who wants to go that rules are being followed and they will continue to be followed, right? So in some ways that's positive advertising. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. I think that that's yeah. a great thing. And then eventually down the line, when this is like way past us, then, you know, obviously some of these policies will be relaxed and people who've been putting it off, like you said, will mm-hmm. be able to return. Yeah, I think so. So I think that's, uh, that's it. So the more, more positive experiences you have on social media from people like that in, uh, on cruise ships and whatnot, um, I think that'll be actually better for the industry over, over the long term. And I guess the last thing that we really want to talk about, and my cat is wondering it too, is what is the, what's the end game for all this? What is like, if, if you're a travel company, yeah. What are you, what is the hope? Because the idea that there'll be zero cases of COVID-19 in the United States is not going to be happening. Clearly that's not going to be happening anytime soon. No. What's the end game uh, for these, for these companies to be able to say, okay, here's what we're, 
gunning for um, in terms of COVID risk mitigation, et cetera? Um, I think a couple of things uh, they're looking for. Number one is everyone's just got to get through the next seven to nine months, right? Where we've got you know no revenue coming in. Because again, the second half of 2021, I think there's gonna be so much pent up demand for travel for people to get out of their who want to get out of their own homes. I think that'll um, that'll start a pretty a pretty fast recovery. Um, what I'd love to see is um, the federal government recognize this. So we we got paycheck protection program. You know, when the pandemic started, we got um, EIDL loans, um, and then we got nothing. Right. We've had, so uh, especially the travel industry needs more federal support to get through the next you know, seven to nine months. I'm hoping that happens in January. Um, the other thing, though, is you, we've already seen other parts of the travel industry start adapting to COVID. So now you can get travel insurance that covers cancellations or medical expenses related to COVID. We've, we've, we've got enough data on the virus and how it works to be able to make reasonable ri- uh, risk assessments about those things. Um, so I think everyone's starting to adapt. Um, I do think one of the trends we're going to see is <laughs> just based on how many people had to cancel stuff when COVID started, I think you're going to see uh, a lot more emphasis on using travel agents or travel agencies, because I know like rather than me sitting in line and actually I did do this because, uh, Hannah or my daughter had a, um, a Royal Caribbean cruise, uh, in May that was canceled, uh, going out of Venice. So what I, I asked you about. Uh, like two years ago, um, you know, and I spent hours going back and forth with airlines and um, hotels and cruise ships about what their cancellation policies were, and you know, uh, some of that, some of those disputes had to go through my credit card company, and it was just it was a hassle, yeah. right? And what I think we've all learned is that it's easier if I just say, you know, to my travel agent, let's say her name is Annette, hey Annette, cancel my cruise, and then you know, tell me when it's done. Um, so I think that is going to be one thing that we, we see. The, um, the other thing, though, is like, let's assume social distancing is going to be in effect for at least the next year, right? Absolutely. How do, how do places that rely on large numbers of tourists, how do they change? Like Venice. Do you read the stuff in the, in the papers over the summer about how Venice was basically a ghost town? Yeah. Okay. So even if cruising comes back, it's not going to come back in the same volume or like Venice or the Caribbean. What do the, what do those people do? Right. I mean, that's a, and that's a really valid question because you know, anywhere Venice, the Caribbean, you know, yeah. Nassau, Bahamas, Jamaica. I was writing an article this morning about how just, you know, people in Jamaica are just like, <laughs> what are we doing? Cause there's, yeah. you know, it's, it's been prolonged at this point and yeah. the effect that this has long-term on the economy, it's not just the cruise lines we're talking about economically, but all up and down the chain. I mean, from start to finish, the taxi drivers, the hotels, the tour operators, I mean, it's, how do they operate safely? How do they operate in a, in a world when cruises do resume Yeah, and you know, you're a, a, a tour driver, tour guide who's traditionally worked alone, you're not, not independently, I should say, uh, not through the cruise line. You know, how do you offer, how do you have, you have to have money to be able to upgrade your, your vehicles and, and, you know, uh, institute new policies. Yeah. How do you compete in that kind of a world? Yeah. You've got half as many people now in the same number of, or potentially the same number of, of suppliers, right? What do you, what do you do? You know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I do know that there, you know, there's probably some creative ways to, to do it. So for Venice, for example, right. One idea 
might be to just use the ship as a hotel and stay there for two nights. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, I mean, Venice is big enough. You can't really see Venice in a day or the, you know, in the eight hours of a shore excursion, right. right? So this means, Matt, by the way, that not only do you need drivers in the Caribbean like you have, I'm going to call you one day and say, who's your, who's your guy in Venice that uh, can drive me around on a gondola? <laughs> Let me check my Rolodex. Hang on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, but so, and that this is something where we can't as an industry say, well, that's just Venice's problem or that's just, you know, the problem that, that the islands in the Caribbean are going to face. Because if we want our people to go there and enjoy themselves, you know, it can't, be, it, we, we can't just say, you know, good luck, Venice. Oh, by the way, treat me really well when we're there. Right? We've, got to, we've got to figure out something that's a win for everyone. And that's why I think like, you know, maybe, maybe on our seven night cruise out of, you know, out of Barcelona or wherever, maybe we, we don't go to five ports. Maybe we go to three ports, but for some of them twice as long, right? We just yeah. use the ship as a hotel. So maybe we get half as many ships, but twice as long in some of the key ports, right? Where it sort of all balances out. That's an idea. And I think for a lot of us, like I would prefer that, right? I don't need to see nine, nine cities in 12 days. I would rather see, you know, five cities in 10 days, but really get to explore them. Well, I think the, see, you're obviously using Europe as the example here. And it's, it's a, it's a good anywhere though. Example, I mean, but I'm, saying, but I'm saying it's actually the opposite in the, like in the Caribbean for a lot of people where, you know, the biggest risk, if you will, once you get on board the ship and you've, you're, you've essentially feel pretty comfortable that you're clear, quote unquote, is that people are going to get off the ship and then there, there's a potential to reintroduce the virus on board, right? Through right. doors and whatnot. So the opposite would seem to me to be the idea is that there's less ports, less visits. Now, this is a problem. Again, this goes back to the PVSA. You can't sail from Port Canaveral and right. have no stops along the way because that would, you have to go somewhere. Um, certainly private islands are a way around that problem because that's more of a contained environment. You know right. what's happening there. But how long can that go? That's a bigger question. That goes back to what you were saying earlier is you can't ignore Cozumel and Jamaica and uh, Nassau and then at some point come back, hey, who loves you, baby? Yeah, you're not going to text Cozumel at 2 a.m. saying, you up? You're, like, it's just, <laughs> you're just not, not going to do that, right? And again, the travel industry has an obligation to support itself, right? You can't, right. You can't just pick and choose. Yeah, I love the idea of like if you if you had told me five years ago, Len, you know you're going to go on like the Allure or the Anthem, and you're not going to go to a single port for a week. It's just you and the cruise ship. I would be like, sign me up. What's where is that itinerary, and 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 where do I send my credit card? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't know how many times you could you could do that. Um, for most people, like I, I would probably do it once. Would I do it twice? That would be that would be tricky. Um, so yeah, I get the I get the idea, and I think there could be cruises like that, but um, it, it, may, it may work better like in Alaska, where there's lots of scenery. Right, sure. Alaska is beautiful in and of itself. Canada, right? Have you done Have you done Canada? Only um, uh, what's it called uh, on Alaska, not on the East Coast, on the West Coast, like Victoria. Oh, so um, I did New York um, to Quebec down the St. Lawrence. Mm. Uh, River. And it was beautiful. I mean, the scenery was like Alaska-like, um, but not quite. It was different enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could do that. I could do a week without going to the little towns, although the little towns were fabulous in, uh, in Quebec. Um, I could do that. But like seven days at sea in the Caribbean, I mean, the ocean starts to look like the ocean, right? It's, 
Yeah, so I don't I don't know how you could you could do that for especially with I don't know how you could do that for the Caribbean cruises because there's so much of it. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I guess the last thing really we have to look at in terms of this end game is also some of these uh, changes, the temporary, which changes are temporary and which are not, right? Because there's a lot right. of that that comes into play here. And yeah. I know the Healthy Sale panel color-coded a lot of these where some of these, some of the ideas that are coming out of this is actually, you know, just good to have. Like air filtration is, is a good thing to have. They should, you know, the cruise line should continue yeah. to do that going forward regardless of COVID or not. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing too is like, I mean, that's not only going to keep the number of COVID cases down, but in the winter, it'll keep the number of flu cases down. Mm-hmm. And that's good for everyone. So I think that and like the ability or the, uh, the requirement that everyone wears masks is going to have long-term positive health benefits around the, around the world, not just for COVID, right? So we could all be healthier because of that. Um, in the short term, I think, one of, or actually in the long term, another trend I think is this, this idea of like touchless everything, like you mentioned, um, QR codes from, for menus in restaurants, yep. right? That's, I think that's just going forward. That's going to be the thing. I mean, there's a number of environmental um, reasons why you'd want to do that too. But, but you think about like how when you go into a hotel now, they'll text you your room number ahead and, um, and you can use your phone to open up the door, right? Disney does this now. Um, I was at a Marriott in Scottsdale, you know, a month ago where they were doing it too, or Hilton, right? The idea that you're never going to have to go to the front desk, that everything here is going to be contactless going in and going out of a hotel. I think that that's here forever. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, number one, that helps, I think, alleviate not only health concerns, but in a lot of cases, it's just easier. I mean, listen, I'm a geek. Yeah. I enjoy, like, the thing that I love, I know it's not great for the restaurant industry, but it's been great for me, is ordering via apps, like takeout, you know, delivery. Yeah. I hate talking to people. I don't, you know, it's like, you have to explain, I want, you know, this, but without this and this and this. Like, this is what the internet was made for, is being able to <laughs> order you know, the, what you want, the way you want it. And it's clearly communicated and quickly like, this is fantastic. So yeah, there's definitely some gains to be gotten from this in terms of the check-ins and whatnot. Um, I'm just curious. I I, I mean, this is the, 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 the big question everyone really wants to know is, you know, how long does this go? How long does, um, you know, what, when does not, not when you go back to normalcy, but like, when does, you know, the world kind of go back to, um, moving away from this where it's not constantly, you know, the first thought in anyone's mind when you get on a cruise ship or go to Walt Disney World is in the same way that I, I got to imagine and live through, neither did you, but polio, you know, I, I think right. there was a generation where that was always a concern for parents. Like, oh gosh, I hope my kid doesn't get polio. Right. Nobody thinks about that, right? Because polio is all, well, I would say it's all eradicated. I think there's some still some pop-ups here and there like in Africa, but regardless, like, you know, it, it, when it gets to that, like maybe that's really far down the line there, but you know, I'm, I'm just curious what the, you know, the end game, again, going back to this is what, yeah. what are they look, what are the cruise lines looking for going forward and saying, you know, this is where, this is our ultimate goal because eradication is not possible. So the next best thing is X and whatever X looks like. So, yeah. So where it gets to be an acceptable level, like again, like the flu or something like that, yep, I'm, absolutely. you know, definitely, I think a year from now and, and possibly as early as, you know, midsummer of 2021, we will start to see improvement. But I, I think, you know, this time, this time next year, we should have hundreds of millions of doses. It should have been widely administered. It should be effective. Very few of us should have been turned into flesh-eating zombies. Um, you know, uh, and yeah, so I think, I think a year from now, it's, it's, it's vastly different. So. Yeah, and listen, on an all-brains diet is not the end of the world either. So I'm just <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I do see, by the way, and uh, I, want, I want to throw this out there because you and I could, could both take advantage of this. Uh, have you seen where um, Barbados is offering a long-term work-from-home visa on I the do. island? Yes. 
<laughs> they're, they're touting like, oh, our internet is super fast. You can come to Barbados and work. I'm like, why, why aren't I working in Barbados? That's if it's good enough for Rihanna, it's good enough for us. Lenny. Exactly. But I do think, I do think you'll, um, cause, uh, um, I've, I've been updating the unofficial guide and, uh, to Walt Disney world. And one of the questions I keep getting from people is like, um, okay, you know, my, my kid is in, um, remote learning through at least, you know, summer of 2021. So, um, you know, we could go to Walt Disney world anytime we want. We'll just, we'll just educate them in the hotel room. They'll do their zoom classes or whatever. Yeah. And then we'll go to the parks. Um, and I think, I think people are going to get used to that. So I sort of like to sum up our conversation, some things are going to go back to normal around like, you know, how we, we look at the virus and stuff like that. But this trend of like, I can work from anywhere. So why, why can't I work on a cruise ship or on an Island? I think that's going to be permanent. Mm. Well, there, like I said, and that's not the, that, that that's an actually a benefit in some regards, especially if you want to make, you know, long weekends of things. And, oh yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, I mean, all these, everybody who's worked from home for the last six months, how many of us really want to go back into an office? <laughs> and do you know? I can remember when when we were doing the show with Mike Newell, and and he was like, "Well, I, you know, it t- takes me two hours to get in the city every day." I'm like, "Why would you spend four hours of your life every day in a commute? Why don't you just?" Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think the I think call that the rat race now. <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. Hang on, the, the cistern is getting low, so let me go. Pull it up. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Uncle Orville's taking up all the cooling, cooling air in the bathroom. So we've got to wrap up this episode. Um, but of course, if you want more uh, great insight into all things travel and Walt Disney World as well. If you've got a Disney World trip, it's uh, definitely my number one resource to go to. Uh, touringplans.com. Check it on out. Len is, can be found over there with those great staff, including Brian McNichols uh, over there. So check it on out. And uh, Len, thanks for uh, joining me here to talk about uh, the world in general. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. This was great.